This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Is everybody doing good? You should be. It's nice and warm out, and you should be like enjoying this day. And I'm glad you actually came here. You could have decided not to come here and just enjoy the day. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. Listen, we are concluding our series, The Blessed Life. And for the past three weeks, we've had Robert Morris speaking to us uh, through Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's been a powerful, uh, a powerful teaching from Robert Morris. I mean, this man has an anointing to talk about that. He's written books, obviously, and um, his teaching on the blessed life is incredible. So I would encourage you, if you've not read this book, read his book. You would, it's, it'll be a, a real blessing to you. Um, he has especially honed in on this idea of the heart, that God really wants our heart. He's doesn't need our money or, or your money. He really wants your heart. And since our money so oftentimes is tied to our heart, even the scripture talks about that, then God really speaks to us and our remorse has been encouraging and challenging us to give our hearts over to him. And that's really where we've been. He talked about the principle of first and something that's throughout the scripture that God is first in our lives and when we put God first in our lives, then things tend to fall in place, fall in order. And so that's, a, that's, that's really, really important. Well, in our culture, in our Western thought, the way we think our worldview, um, we, we, you know, in, in, the, in the Western world, we have this kind of scientific-based, empirical way of looking at the world. We tend to, the way we tend to look at life, we tend to look at it as compartments, it's how we kind of divide up our lives. And so very often when somebody's talking about um, their life, they might say something like, yeah, like my spiritual life. They'll use the language, my spiritual life. And, and it, the implication, there's an, imp, there's an implying that you also have another kind of life that is not spiritual. Right? That you have your spiritual life over here, and then you have some other kind of life over here, and some other kind of life over here, and some other kind of life over here. And in, West, in the Western world, you know, meaning Europe, America, those Western countries, we tend to think that way. That's how we see our lives. We see our lives as these compartments. And so what I want to do is I want to illustrate with a dresser. I'm going to pull up a dresser here on the screen. I want to illustrate with a dresser the way we oftentimes see our life, Right? Um, uh, uh, how many of you like have like a whole dresser for your clothes? Just, you can raise your hand. Okay. I have half of one and my wife has like three. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. But, uh, but you know, so I have like three drawers for, I, so I have a sock and underwear drawer and then I have a shirt, t-shirts kind of drawer. And then I have another drawer for like my shorts and my sweats and that's in another drawer. And I like to kind of keep those separate. I like to keep them organized. Most people like their drawers to be organized, uh, unless they're teenagers, teenage boys, then, then who knows what it is. You know, they, yeah, they lose Anyways, um, so, so I like to keep myself organized. I like to keep them separate from each other, right? And, uh, and sometimes I get frustrated because I can't find the sh- my, you know, my favorite workout shorts or something. I can't find them. And I look in the washing machine, and I look in the dryer, and I look in the dirty clothes basket, and I look everywhere. And sure enough, there it is. My shorts are in my shirt drawer. 
and I don't like that. And I think oftentimes that's how we tend to look at our lives as well, right? Kind of like these compartments. We want our lives to be neatly ordered in these compartments. So we have this, this, this dresser. It's kind of a metaphor for us. It's going to illustrate how we oftentimes divide up our lives. We have our, the top drawer is our relationship drawer, Okay, so in that drawer is contained all of the things that relate to our, our friends, our, our marriage, our, our love life, you know, um, people that we are really close to, maybe our children, our grandparents, you know, these are our relationships. All of our relationships could be contained into that one drawer. The next drawer would be our work life. That's uh, stuff that all relates to our profession, you know, our, 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 the licenses that we need to acquire so that we can do the job that we have. And, and all of that is contained in my work drawer. Then we have our, our entertainment drawer, you know. Those are the things that we do for fun. I mean, you like having fun. The rest of you are lying, but Okay. Yeah, no, we, we, you know, those are things that we do for fun. Like, you know, our hobbies, you know, the, the, the sports that we play, the TV shows that we watch. Maybe it's that, that, that book that you read every night sitting on, the, on your nightstand. That's your entertainment drawer. And then we have the next drawer is our financial drawer, our financial life. And this, this drawer is actually a very significant drawer. It's everything that pertains to, to our money, our possessions, our wealth, our our future aspirations, our retirement accounts, all that stuff is contained in this drawer. And it's a significant drawer for us. In fact, statistics say that 34% of New Year's resolutions have to do with money. So people are thinking about it. At least a third of the population is thinking about it. About what I need, changes that need to happen in terms of their financial world. And then the final drawer is our spiritual drawer. And you might have... I put five drawers here. You might have six. You might have eight. You might have only three. But these are the things that we see as very significant for us, right? And so we have the spiritual drawer, which is where we would put our church life, our faith. The, you know, you're here on Sunday morning, and so this, is, this today is about that drawer, you know, that's being opened up. And most of you would not have a single problem with me opening up that spiritual life drawer and talking about the big things of faith, right? You, you wouldn't care if I tell you about, talk to you about water baptism or, or, you know, how we can find salvation through Jesus Christ by faith and through the grace of Jesus Christ. Talking about the cross, you know what I mean? We, most of us have no problem with a pastor talking about uh, the big things of faith, but watch out as soon as a pastor starts trying to open up the relationships drawer. And I want to start talking about the bedroom. Oh, man, I, I might lose some fingers if I start reaching for that drawer, wouldn't I? And a lot of that has to do with, with how we have compartmentalized our life. How we have said this is this and this is that. But you need to understand something, that this is a foreign idea to Jesus. For Jesus, everything, everything is spiritual. That's why around here we, we have classes like Financial Peace University. Why would a church put on a class called Financial Peace University except that we believe that everything is spiritual? Why would a church have a class called Define the Relationship? <laughs> You've heard of that term, right? Define the relationship. It's like when you're in a relationship with somebody and it's time to step it up to the next level. 
and you need to define the relationship. You need to decide, is this, is this something that we want to do, go to the next level? Why would a church talk about those kind of things? Except that we believe that everything, everything is spiritual. You see, there's these two competing worldviews. This idea that of spiritual as a whole or spiritual only as a part. And most of us, that's the category that we have. It's all divided up. And yet, it's not at all. It's not how Jesus sees it. It's Jesus sees this as together. Everything is spiritual. This is why sometimes we struggle with, with things like, say, like a celebrity, like Tim Tebow, to get, gets on national TV, national TV, and he starts talking about his faith. And we're like, hey, Tim, that's all right for, for church. That's okay for you to give your testimony in church, but, but this is ESPN. Why are you doing it on ESPN? And we struggle with those things because we want that separation of, of, of church and state, but it's not just church and state, it's separation of church and, and the bedroom, separation of church and, and my work life, separation of church and my entertainment, separation of church even and of, of my money. But that's not how Jesus sees this. Now, it's not comfortable sometimes to talk about money, and I get that, but you need to understand something. That as soon as I start thinking about my money as something separate from my spiritual life, we're no longer talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not how God sees it. Biblically, that's not, there is no separation. Everything, everything falls under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is surrendered to him. So that's why we're talking about this. And the Bible has actually a lot to say about it. In fact, 16 of Jesus' 38 parables, 16 of his 38 parables are about money. I mean, if Jesus had to talk about it, then maybe we should as well. And there's a reason for that, because he wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. So today what I want to do is I want to very carefully reach down to that financial drawer, and I want to open it up a little bit. Let's talk about what God has to say. We're going to look at John chapter 6. A uh, very familiar story, the story of the feeding of the, of the 5,000. You, you recall that story probably. Some of you may not know the story. Um, but before we get into that story, I want to ask you a question. In that financial drawer right there of your life, how much do you have in there? Okay, it's a rhetorical question. Don't answer, but you get what I'm saying? How much do you have in that financial drawer? Okay, it is rhetorical, but if you have billions then I need to talk to you, <laughs> okay, just in case, just in case, but otherwise, it's rhetorical. Um, I think most of us, when we see our financial drawer, if, if that's how we've kind of categorized, separated our life, when we see our financial drawer, most of us would say, would not say, well, I, ha- I don't have anything in my financial drawer. I have nothing. I have zero, not even a penny. No, I don't think anyone, anybody in this room would say that. By the same token, I don't think anybody in this room says, man, I have so much in that financial drawer, I can't even close a drawer. It's so full. That's not usually how we look at our, our possessions, our wealth, our finances. I think most of us, when it comes to that financial drawer, what we would say is, I have some. And that some is relative. For some of you, some means $100. For others of you, some means $10,000. I have some. 
And this is really what we're going to try to talk about today is what do you do with your sum? And here's why I'm saying this, because we've been talking about uh, faith and money for the last four weeks, and it hits triggers, and people feel triggered by it. People feel upset about it. Or, or maybe not, not everybody feels upset. Some people are excited about it. <clears throat> and I think a lot of this has to do is with the idea that we have only some. It's a limited supply. And so as you're hearing Robert Morris talk about tithing or generosity and all of those things, we start doing the math and we start realizing, well, wait, you know, it's, it's limited, and we feel this, this we, we, we have good hearts. We want, to, we want to serve God. We want to obey what the scriptures teach. We want to do what God wants us to do, but, but we feel like we have just, just a limited amount. What do we do with this limited amount? And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the sum that we do have because it is a limited supply. In John 6, you see this, this story. The popularity of Jesus has increased. I mean, there's like, it says there's 5,000 men following him. So if you could think about it in terms of, if it's 5,000 men, there's probably some women and children mixing the crowd. So there's probably about 12,000 to 15,000 people there following him. They've been teaching, Jesus has been teaching them all day long, healing their sick, doing miracles, all that stuff. And it gets late in the day and the disciples come to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, it's late. They're hungry. And Jesus, you don't want to preach to hungry people, okay? And I know this because some of you in this service, that's what I see. You're like, you're already looking at your watch. I'm like, okay, Rich, come on, let's get it going, all right? You need to send them off so they can go get food to eat. They haven't eaten all day long. And then Jesus asks Philip this question after he tells them, We're gonna feed, you're going to feed them. He asked Philip this question, he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread? In other words, Philip, there is a problem. These people are hungry. You guys want to send them off. I want to feed them. So where are we going to buy bread for them to eat? Now, John feels the need to add a little bit of commentary, the gospel writer John. And so in verse 6, he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then John kind of steps in and says, just to make sure that Jesus doesn't look like crazy asking that question. He says, he asked this only to test him. So John is testing, I mean, Jesus is testing Philip for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And I would submit to you as Robert Morris's language as well, that we too are being tested it's a test of our heart. It's a test of our faith. Do we trust or are we just going to do this by ourselves, right? And so Jesus says to Philip, what are we going to do? There's this huge need. How do we meet this need? And so Philip's a very practical guy, so he starts running the numbers, and this is how he responds to Jesus. He says, it would take, this is Philip's answer to Jesus on how we're going to feed these people, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. And the implication there's one tiny little bite. So a person's salary, half a, half a year's salary for any person it would take that much money to buy enough bread so that each person of the 12,000 here could get one tiny little bite. But basically what, what Philip is saying, it's a nice thought, Jesus. Nice thought. It's not going to work. 
There's not enough in the drawer. There's not. We have a limited supply. We only have some. We can't do this. And I think often this is where we land when it comes to the challenges that we face in our life. We are hearing Robert Morris talk about tithing. You're hearing me talk about it. And you're, you're, you're processing and you think, yeah, the need is true. The need is real. The, 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 the Bible is true. I need to do what it says. But there's just this limited supply. I think I'm just going to pass on it. I think I can't do this. Or maybe we go even further. We justify it. We say why we can't do it. Or we find some obscure scripture to try to twist what we're saying. And justify why we can't do it. And we conclude, Jesus, it's a great idea, but I don't think we can do this. But here's a truth that we need to internalize when it comes to God's economy. Where God guides us, he will always provide. Where God leads you, he's always going to provide. So it's really about trust, right? When God speaks to you, he says, I want you to step out. And I want you to help that family in need. And you look at your sum and you think, I don't know if I can. If you step out and you help that family in need, where God leads you, he's always going to provide. Or maybe through the series you've been feeling the tug in your heart. Hey, you need to start, you need to start tithing. You need to start tithing. And you look at your sum and you say, I don't know if I can. Where God guides you, God leads you, he's going to provide. This is really where all of us are. I mean, I've seen this over and over and over again here. In fact, we're in this building here in, in, in Coralville, and the truth is, six years ago when we were looking at this building, or five, years, five and a half years ago when we were looking at this building, it seemed like an impossibility. We all, the board, Wayne was on our board at that time, we all, the board, looked at the drawer, and we said, there's not very much in this drawer. <laughs> there's not very much. We're not sure how we're going to do this. But where God guides and leads you, he will always provide. You see, for Philip, it didn't make sense on paper. It just didn't. And so he was ready to say, let's just send him home, right? But see, here's the thing about numbers. Jesus often does his best work when the numbers don't add up. Sorry, let me fix my mic here, guys. It's pulling on my shirt. Or somebody. There we go. <clears throat> Jesus often does his best work when, the thing, when numbers don't add up. When we look at our sum and we say, I don't know, God, this is not possible. That's oftentimes when the miracle is just right around the corner. And we say, God, we're going to trust you with a little bit we have. That's exactly what happens in this story. I wonder how many of us would have, you know, we would have missed the miracle. Because we said, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. I have to. We turned away too soon. We walked away. We close the door. We can't wrap our minds around the 90%, 10% math. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't look, work right on paper. Where God guides, he will always provide. So Jesus is having this conversation with Philip, and another disciple walks up, and he's got this little boy with him. And it's, the disciple's name is Andrew, and he has this little boy with him, and he's got this, his little lunch. The boy has his lunch. I, let's... Listen, I want you just for, for memory purposes, I want you to imagine this boy's carrying a SpongeBob lunchbox. Okay? 
just so you know, because I think oftentimes when we hear this story and it's just so fantastical that we, we think that this boy must have walked up with a semi-load of five ginormous buns of bread that 12,000 people ate. But it wasn't that. It was a boy's lunch. That's what it was. That's all it was. Two fish and five little barley cakes. And Andrew walks up and he says, hey, here's this little boy. He's got a, a sack of lunch. Hey, son, what do you have in your lunch? And I've got two fish and five little, five little loaves of bread. I could just imagine Philip. He's like, Andrew, are you, are you an idiot? What's wrong with you? I mean, this is nothing. Do you see the crowd out there? Do you see how many people? This is an impossibility. We cannot feed these people. And this is nothing. It's just a kid's sack lunch. It's not very much. It's true. But here's the deal. It's something. It's something. Like what many of us have. Just something. And he offers it to Jesus it's amazing what Jesus can do when we give him our something. In verse 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. They had had them seated in rows. Gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. It's amazing what God can do with the something that we have, right? So the question for us today then is what do you... What are you going to do with the sum, the something that you have? What do you do with it? I think for, for a lot of us, the problem when we have only some, because none of us here will say, I have nothing. Most of us here will not say, I have a lot. Most of us here agree that we just have some. I think what we struggle with is contentment. Finding contentment. We struggle with discontentment. That's what we struggle with, right? You see, when you only have some, you always want what? Say it, say it again. More. That's right. Because early on, we learned that more is always better than some. Right? I guess you guys don't believe this. Does anybody else believe this? We always, that's how we grow up. We grow up thinking that I just want more because it's always better than some. There's this website called WebMD where you can kind of, um, it's got this uh, symptoms checker. You've probably used WebMD in the past. Symptoms checker where you can like type in the symptoms of your, you know, whatever it is you're, you're, you're going through and then it'll spit out the, uh, the uh, you know, the diagnosis, what, what, you know, what your problem is. And so you know, I might get up in the morning and open up my laptop and say, okay, my knees are cracking and there's a little bit of popping going on and a little bit of pain and stiffness and, you know, it would just spit out possible like 95% chance of osteoarthritis. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great app actually. If you like, you got a coworker that's got a little bit of halitosis or something, you want to figure out what's wrong with them, you just type it in there. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. <clears throat> Anyways, you can also do it in reverse. Like you can, you can type in the illness and then it'll tell you what the symptoms are related to that illness, right? And then you can kind of like self-diagnose. You know, doctors love this. They just love when people self-diagnose. So um, anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, so what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to type in, maybe not in this app, if there was this other kind of app where we could type in the illness of discontentment. 
And what would be some of the symptoms of discontentment? Let's have a little bit of fun, okay? So don't, don't get offended. I'm not trying to pick, point at anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. But imagine that um, you walk into your, your walk-in closet. Now keep in mind, when I say walk-in closet, means there is a room dedicated, a room in your house dedicated to storing clothes, Okay? It's a foreign concept in Asia. Man, they don't have no idea what that means in Asia. But there's a room dedicated in, in your house dedicated to storing clothes, right? And there's all these clothes. And you walk in, you kind of stand, you kind of glance around, and, and you're like, hmm, I have nothing to wear. You ever heard that before? Unfortunately, I've said that, okay? Now, I don't have a big closet, but still, I have enough, and yet I walk into my closet, and I think, I have nothing to wear, right? That might be a symptom of discontentment. Or you go to a friend's house and you, like, you sit at their kitchen and you see their nice brand new quartz countertop and you're like, man, this is wonderful, this is amazing. And so you're driving home and you tell your wife, I think we need to remodel our kitchen. That might be a symptom of discontentment. For me, it's really all about cars. I... I, I torture myself. I watch Motor Trend Channel, you know, and I torture myself with that. I'm like, yeah, especially watching the, 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 the auctions, you know, where they have all these cars going through. It's like every car gets up on, the st- on that thing. It's my favorite car. That's the one I wanted, you know, I've been dreaming about for a long time, you know, and so I, you know, I want cars. I just, I mean, and so I struggle also with dic- discontentment. See, we live in a culture of more. We want more success, more money, more, more luxuries. We always are striving for more. And from a global perspective, these things don't really make a whole lot of sense. And yet, that's exactly where we're at. So one of my challenges, and I'm, not, I'm sure it's all of ours, but one of my challenges is discontentment. So what does the Bible have to say about discontentment? Hebrews 13.5 <clears throat> says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Ecclesiastes 6.9, good news translation, says it this way. It is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. It's the thing that we struggle with, right? Luke 12.15, this is Jesus speaking in the Living Bible. I like how the Living Bible puts this. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life, real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. The struggle for more. And yet our culture bombards us with the exact opposite message. You have to have more. So one of the challenges when you have just some is you struggle with discontentment. I think another challenge that we have when we have some is because some means like this limited supply is we struggle with, uh, with generosity. How to be generous I remember I was, a, I was an adult. How many of you like Starburst, the, the candy, Starburst? It's one of my favorite candies. Uh, Amy, our, our, our accountant, she, uh, uh, our bookkeeper here at Life Church, she has a, a little jar in her car, on her desk of Starburst. And, I, and I'm like, you know, I don't ever really have to go in there and talk to her for anything, but I do because I love Starburst, you know. So I go and I, and I sit there and I'm, I'm like, how you doing, Amy? Everything good, Amy? And I'm just eating her Starburst. You know, she knows that, so she keeps it stocked. 
I love Star Wars. I discovered Star Wars when I was an adult. I, I didn't know about it until like in my mid-20s or late 20s, actually. And uh, I remember one time I'd gone to this gas station, 7-Eleven. It was in Leesville, Louisiana. I pulled into this gas station to get gas. And this is before you would put credit cards in a gas station. So I had a cash, and I walked into the gas station, paid for the gas. And I just decided I picked up a Starburst. You know, it was my new favorite candy. So I had this Starburst in my hand, you know. Walking back to the car when I realized I had three boys in my car who would love, just love, to get their grubby hands on my Starburst. It's my Starburst, right? And I knew exactly what was going to happen if I'm like a good dad, I'm going to share with my boys. I would share with them, and I would end up with all the yellow ones. I don't like the yellow ones. I like all the other ones, you know. The yellow ones are not my favorite, although I will eat the yellow ones. But, but still, you know, I just knew that if I shared with them, you know, they would take all the good ones. And so I'm like in my mind just trying to justify, uh, you know, they don't work. I work. They haven't earned this. You know, like what kind of parent would I be to, to teach my kids that they can actually get stuff without working for it, you know? So that, you know, I'm going through this junk in my head, you know, and... Or, or I started thinking, you know what, I'll just hide it. And then I'll sit in the bathroom and eat it when nobody sees me, you know. Like, it's just like sick stuff. I'm just, I'm struggling because I had this limited supply of Starburst and I don't want to share it. So I remember, I mean, clearly, as clear as day, I remember I'm walking to my car and I stopped halfway. And I turned around, went back into 7-Eleven, bought another one. Came back to the car, and I was like really excited. Hey, boys, I got some Starbursts for you, and I gave them one. They split among themselves, and I kept one for myself. <laughs> I know, I'm a bad parent. But that's what happens when you have a limited supply, right? It's hard to be generous. And I think that's why the Bible teaches about tithing. Because what tithing does is it puts God first. It's not just tithing, it's not just giving, it's giving first. And when you put God first, it breaks the back of discontentment. And it opens the door for generosity in our lives. I like what Deuteronomy 14.23 says. The Living Bible says it this way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So really the objective of giving. The objective of giving is to prioritize God as first. That's really what this whole series has been about. Now I wonder, you know, what would you have done? If, if you were that boy with that little sack lunch and Andrew says, hey, would you like to donate to the cause? <laughs> what would you have done? I think this is often what we tend to do. I have here a little, I, I've actually, some of you might remember this. I actually have done this illustration before. It was a different sermon, not exactly related to this, but I, I've done this illustration before of the fish and the loaves. But the last time I did it, I actually bought fish sticks. And, and then I thought, well, fish sticks are frozen. And it's hard to really illustrate fish with frozen fish sticks, right? So I microwave them here at the church. And then Chris Carey walks it on Sunday morning. Yeah, thanks for the extra info there, Wayne. Uh, on Sunday morning. <laughs> and so Chris, Chris walks in and says, why does it smell like fish here at church? <laughs> that was me. So today, we don't have uh, fish sticks. We have fake fish, all right, So just so you know. But this is oftentimes what we do when it comes to, to giving. I want you to imagine this little, boy, this little boy's lunch. Imagine that it's, as it's just some. 
And so imagine that this, what we have right here is just our sum. We just got paid and we are looking at what we have, right? And so we have fish. And this would represent, I mean, it's the protein, it's the main part of the meal. So this probably represents like, like uh, your mortgage payments. And so when we see the limited amount that we have immediately, we have to pull that big one out, right? Mortgage, it's got it's to be put aside, all right? Because we got to pay the mortgage. And then we have like um, our car payment, for example. Here's a little loaf of bread. Well, it's a, it's a non. It's, yeah, it's not a loaf, but it's close because it, it, biblically speaking, it would have been like a flat bread that he would have had. So you have car payments. That's a pretty big one for, for some of us. Some of you have multiple car payments, and it's a significant amount of money. And you gotta, but you got to make sure you just got your check. You got to make sure that you've kept enough aside for this so you, so you keep your car payments out, right? And then you have like taxes, Okay, I mean, that's a big one. You have property taxes come due every year, and it seems like it just goes up and up and up every single year. We've got to make sure we have that money set aside, so we put that aside too. And then, and then we have like utilities. There's another bread that we have, or let's call them our utilities, right? You've got to keep that cable bill on. You've got to keep that internet working. Make sure there's electricity. Make sure there's gas. So we put that aside as well. We have uh, entertainment, right? It can't all be work. It's got to be some fun, right? So you, you got to be able to take a vacation. You got to be able to, to you know, uh, go to a movie every once in a while, take your family out to eat. So we have entertainment. And then, of course, you've got your kids. You, how many of you know kids are expensive? I, I have four kids, and my three sons, they ate like elephants when they were in high school. I mean, it's like there was never enough food in the house. And we'd have, we'd go to Costco and we'd shop, we'd fill the thing up and, and they'd walk in and I mean, it was like, a, like the plague came through and it's all gone, you know. I just bought that today. It's gone, you know. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a big expense. And so if you have kids, you know that that's a big expense. You gotta put that aside. And here's what we often do is we look at our limited supply, our limited amount, and we put it all in these categories, not really thinking about God. And then it comes, you come to church and you hear Robert Morris talking about tithing or you hear Pastor Rich talking about tithing and you're like, oh yeah, well, um, I've got these crumbs here. Okay, let, let, let's put this in the offering basket. I wonder what this boy would have done. Imagine if this boy had said, hey, Andrew, thanks for the offer, but, you know, um, honestly, let, let me just eat my lunch, and if there's any leftover, I'll just give it to, to Jesus. That's not at all what happens. What happens is this boy at that very moment hands over his lunch, and in a very in a spiritual sense, he says to the Lord, you have all of, not just this little compartment, not this just little drawer, you have all of my life. It's all yours. I surrender it to you. And what's so cool about this, it says they all ate to be satisfied. The Bible tells us that they collected 12 basketfuls after, after they finished. It doesn't tell us what they did with those 12 basketfuls, but I imagine that Jesus, when they pulled those baskets together, Jesus said, hey, where's that little boy, by the way, who gave his sack lunch? Found him and said, hey, 
Here you go, son. Take this to your family. This is really what the blessed life is all about. It's about making God first, about trusting him with our sum, trusting him with our limited supply. And when we do that, not only is, not only is the world fed, not only does God do his, accomplish his purposes in this world, but your life gets blessed as well. Amen.